Uh, remember, this is uh, a letter that uh, one of Jesus' authorized spokesmen has written. Written to, uh, to a, a church and to churches around Ephesus. It was written by a guy named John who followed uh, Jesus from the beginning. He's emphasized to us that uh, he saw, he touched, he heard. Um, this is John who, who was close to Jesus at the Last Supper, described as laying his, his head on Jesus', Jesus breast. He heard the heartbeat of Jesus. He smelled what our Lord smelled like when he entered into this world. This is the John who's writing this letter. He's not, off, he's not uh, uh, authorized just because he saw Jesus, but Jesus himself said to the, to the, uh, the, the disciples there, those, the, the 11, 12 that followed him, that they were going to be the ones that he was going to communicate his truth and his message into the world. Um, and so John is writing to a group of believers in this, uh, this church in Ephesus who has had disruption in their midst. Some people arose with some counter messages, some competing claims to truth about how, who Jesus is and how you live in relationship with him. It's brought doubts among the people of the, of the congregation of, of uh, who do we follow? What does it look like to, to trust Jesus? Can I know? That I am one of his in light of the doubts that this other group has 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 brought in. And so John is writing to to assure the the people who have remained, who are who are resting in Jesus and the truth of the message that he has communicated through his his disciples. And so we're going to continue in uh, in first uh, John this morning um, as we uh, come close to to the end. Um, we're going to be in chapter five. Uh, if you want to follow along in one of the black Bibles there in front of you, that's on page 1023. And this morning we're going to be looking at, um, at verses 4 through 13. So 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 through 13. Um, so if you would follow along with me as I uh, read from God's Word this morning. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is He who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that He is born concerning His Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God is born concerning His Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and that this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. 
we pray that, uh, Holy Spirit, you would apply uh, this living and active Word of God to our, to our hearts, uh, that we would have confidence resting and relying in Jesus alone. Um, it's in His name that we pray. Amen. Uh, John is writing, remember, this group of believers who are still connected with this church that was established in Ephesus. Uh, and, and he writes them in, in these, these first verses, in, chapter, in verses 4 and 5, letting them know that, that those who have been born of God have overcome the world. John tells them that they have experienced and in some way have overcome the world. They have experienced victory, he tells them. What does he mean? What, what is overcoming? What is victory? Uh, this past several weeks now, I've been watching the uh, documentary uh, that Ken Burns put out. It just was just came out on the Vietnam War, and uh, it was like ten episodes, and every episode was like an hour and a half or two hours long. It took a long time to get through it, um, but one of the the interesting things um, at at the end of uh, the documentary, in the last, uh, the last episode, um, it talked about this uh, agreement that had been made for, for peace and ceasefire between uh, North Vietnam and South Vietnam. Uh, and then uh, immediately uh, after, within days of that happening, uh, the North invaded, invaded the South. Uh, the U.S. was no longer involved there, and so it had... Very little military presence except to protect the, the embassies that were, that were involved. And so all of a sudden, as the, the North starts coming in, this, the, the, the people in the South who were supportive of the, the, the Southern uh, government began to flee, coming to the, to the ports, coming to get out however they could. And this happened over the course of, of many years as the, the North continued to uh, implement their, their regime there in, uh, in Vietnam and taking taking the country uh, over. Um, many uh, Vietnamese, uh, southern South Vietnamese citizens lost their lives trying to escape, as uh, a lot of them would pile on to, to fishing boats, uh, barges, whatever they could get on to get out of the country. And while they were doing this, North Vietnam was shelling the, the, the coast, the boats that had people just trying to escape. Um, many of them lost their lives, but many also uh, escaped and made their way to the United States. One of my best friends' families uh, during that period of time escaped from South Vietnam uh, to uh, the, the Philippines, and then from the Philippines they came to the, to the U.S. Um, uh, we would not describe what they experienced as victory or overcoming. They escaped with their lives, but they were overcome. Someone else experienced victory. When you leave your land, when you uh, give up and, 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 and uh, agree that control has been given to another, that cannot be described as overcoming or victory. You escape with your lives, but that's about, about it. Sometimes, as we think about the Christian life, sometimes we're uh, a common understanding, and this is an, uh, a wrong understanding of the Christian life, is that uh, we don't overcome, but we escape. 
The end goal of the Christian life is to get out of this world and to go to heaven, to escape the problems here and to live with God in some sort of, uh, maybe you, you picture becoming an angel or you just picture living in heaven and you will live out your life there. But is that not just what we see happening happen in Vietnam? You leave, you run, you escape with your life, but the entire territory that's left behind, you've conceded to the enemy, to someone else, and now they reign and they rule here. That's not overcoming. That's not victory. That's escape. The Christian life is something else. John says here, what does he say? Everyone who is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Remember, when John is using this terminology, world, he's setting up the world as men and kingdoms that are set up in opposition to God and His rule. God and His purposes in, in the world. Um, uh, we, we have seen this play out throughout all of Scripture. Genesis, when Moses wrote Genesis and we studied it together, we saw that from the, when Satan is seeking to tempt Adam and Eve, that is the world of trying to, to, to cast doubt, to, to establish and throw off God's good, benevolent, gracious rule in the world. And Satan beginning to cast doubt on, can you trust him? Do you really want God to rule you? Do you really want to live under him? Wouldn't it be better if you were in control? If you were the king and the ruler? God doesn't have your best interest in mind. He's trying to keep good things from you. And so this battle enters into the world where these opposing kingdoms are set up. And God makes this promise in chapter 3 of Genesis in verse 15. And he says... One day, there is one who is coming. He will come, and the, the evil one, the serpent, will, will wound him. He will, he will bruise his heel, but, but this one who is, who is coming, he will enter into the world, and, and as he battles with the serpent, he will bruise his head. He will give a mortal wound to the enemy that will die. This one, as we see Scripture trace forward, it was Jesus he is the one who will overcome the evil one. He is the one who will work back all of the effects of the fall. There will not be one square inch of all of God's creation that God concedes to Satan and the evil one. God says that the, the work that he is doing is there will be a, a, a renewed and restored heavens and earth. God will not give up this world to heaven or to, to the evil one. He will not give up our bodies and say they don't matter. We will go to, if we die before Jesus comes, we'll go to heaven for a time. That's just a, a waiting place until the resurrection and restoration of all things where our overcoming and victorious Lord and King returns to this earth to establish His rule on this earth, on this land, in this place, with His people, in their bodies, forever. That is the victory that Jesus achieves. The victory that John is talking about here, that we can overcome the world, means that uh, 
kingdoms and Satan and powers and intentions that, that want to overthrow and establish anything contrary to God's rule will not last. God's people will experience that victory ultimately in this world. One of the evidences that we see that that is happening, John says, is what, it, what does he say there in the end of verse 4? And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. How is faith victory that overcomes the world? All of you exercised faith coming in here this morning. You're all sitting on chairs. Was anybody concerned that when you sat down on the chair that it was going to fall? No, not even thinking about it. You just came in, sat down. You had faith that this chair was going to hold you up. According to John, right? If you have faith, you've overcome the world. Congratulations! You have overcome the world because you have exercised faith. Is that what he's talking about? No. It's not bare faith. It's not empty faith. John goes and he he says, this is believing that Jesus is the Son of God. You see, the Son of God we've, we've talked about before is acknowledging that Jesus is God in the flesh who's entered into our world, the rightful ruler and king. And so to hope and trust in Him, to acknowledge that He is the king, the one that we are following after and loving and submitting to, that in, is the, the beginnings of the overcoming of the world because we're acknowledging who our, our Lord is, who our, our Master and Savior is is Jesus, the one true King. God is is saying here, and what John is is communicating to us, is that to overcome all that that sin has, has corrupted and distorted and done in this world will only come about as we're looking and hoping in Jesus. It's not through our work. Notice what he says. This overcoming happens for those who have been born of God. Nobody here caused yourself to be born of your mother, right? Unless I'm confused on how things work, you were brought into existence through someone else's work and effort, not your own. Also, when it says here, this is the victory that has overcome the world, not your labor, not your effort, not your fighting and you achieving the victory, but your faith. Your faith in an overcomer, one who overcame the world for you, and now you experience the benefits of his victory because you're hoping and trusting and resting and relying on him. What John is saying here is that as we look around at this messed up and broken world and and think about all the despair and the destruction and the harmful effects of sin and the pain that has entered in, how we have wounded and hurt, hurt other people, how they've hurt us, how we struggle with sickness and disease and tears, oppression, injustice. John is saying those are all signs of this defeated kingdom. And we who are hoping and trusting in Jesus can experience victory and can overcome that. Not just escape it with your lives, but overcome it. Meaning, live here, restored, renewed, reestablished, better than God intended it to begin with. Sounds good, huh? How, how do we get to 
be a part of this. Faith, all right, believe that Jesus is the Son of God, believe in Jesus, but what's the, the content of that faith? It's important. It's not just having any kind of faith that God, God accepts. Some of the things that John has been, been showing and telling us is that what we understand and believe about Jesus is significant. If you get Jesus wrong, you get everything wrong. So, let's look at what John continues to go on. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Well, help us understand, John, more deeply. What, what is it about Jesus specifically that we need to understand and believe and embrace? And he goes on to explain it in verses uh, 6 through 9 as it, as it follows. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. And he goes on at the end of verse 9 to say this, For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his Son. Now, this is confusing at first. John, what are you, what are you talking about? Water, blood, Jesus came by the water and the blood, not just the water by itself. What, what is he getting at? It's kind of confusing at, at first. Well, if you think back to, uh, to who Jesus is and, and, uh, and looking at his, at his life, um, when Jesus began his earthly ministry, that began by him being baptized by John the Baptist with water. This initiated Jesus into this uh, public ministry of word and deed, where Jesus was teaching and proclaiming the good news of, of God's kingdom. He was teaching about who God is, who man is. Jesus uh, uh, talking about what it looked like to live right before God because his people had been led astray and what it looked like to uh, to to be made right with, with this God. He also performed great deeds and signs to, to authenticate who he was and that the message that he was bringing and the things that he was teaching were true. Um, John's saying, look, Jesus came by the water. Yes, that was the beginning of his earthly ministry. But if you think and you're hoping and trusting in Jesus only as this, this teacher, this wonder deed doer, this uh, miracle maker, then that's not enough. Jesus didn't just come by the water. Jesus' significance of being here in this world and what we are embracing and trusting is not hoping and looking at someone who is just a good teacher. We've talked about this before. John is wanting to emphasize this. If our understanding and the hope that we have is just in Jesus as a sage, as a, a wise man who communicated great truths, as a, a moral exemplar that gave us a way and a pattern of life to live in such a way that when we love others and we care for them, then that is what it looks like to bring God's kingdom in this world and that overcoming and victory will, will happen not because we, we repent of our sin and turn to Jesus, but as we follow Jesus' life, um, as we give ourselves to other people, 
Um, and as we, uh, we look to Jesus as a, a revolutionary who, who shows us um, uh, what it looks like to live in peace with other people and to seek out their best interests, and that he's just here to be a model like that, um, then John's saying you have it wrong. The greatest problem humanity has is not that we need more knowledge. It's not that we need a better model of how to live. John is saying here, Jesus, the Christ who came into this world, he did come by water. He was baptized and brought into initiating and inaugurating his public ministry. And his teaching was significant and we need it. But if that is all you think Jesus was, was a good moral teacher. You don't know Jesus. Notice what he says. It's not just by the water, but it's the water and the blood. The water and the blood. So the beginning of Jesus' ministry starts with his being baptized. It begins with water. The, towards the end of Jesus' ministry, he dies. He suffers and he dies. Not just as an example of what it looks like to believe in something so much that you give your life for it. Not just so that you could be a model of what it looks like to give your life on behalf of others and to sacrifice greatly as an example of how to live your life. No, Jesus came, John has emphasized over and over again, the reason his blood needed to be shed is so that he could redeem and save humanity from our sins. Our God, who created all things, rightly ruled this world. We rebelled against him wanting to establish our own kingdom. And God's justice meant that as a consequence... Um, we were going to uh, suffer separation from Him and judgment for our rebellion. But God sends Jesus in to die in our place, to take the punishment and the death that we deserved. Jesus was put outside so that we could be brought inside. Jesus suffered and became sin so that we could be made righteous in Him. John is saying Jesus also came to die. And His blood is significant. If you don't recognize and notice and understand your need to be cleansed and forgiven by the blood of Jesus, then you don't understand who you are and you don't understand who Jesus is. Uh, this past week, there was a, um, uh, an article that was posted on the, uh, uh, by a, a news outlet and some of my friends on Facebook were commenting on it and, and reacting to it. Uh, a pastor uh, in uh, another part of the country in another denomination um, was, uh, was preaching and, and commenting on Matthew chapter uh, 15 where Jesus is interacting with uh, a Syrophoenician woman. She's asking Jesus to, uh, to, to heal her daughter. And Jesus' response is, well, I, I came to, to the lost sheep of Israel. Um, and she says, uh, will, you, will you please heal my daughter? She's in great need. And Jesus has a, makes a comment similar to this where he says, is it, is it right for me to, to neglect the children to, to, to give their food to, to the dogs? And, uh, and the woman says, uh, no, but, but don't even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table? And Jesus' response is, is your, your faith has, has 
has made your, your daughter well. Um, go and see. She, she has been healed. Um, now, there's many different ways we could look at that passage, um, but her reaction and the response of, of what this pastor, and I've actually heard a sermon similar to this here in Elizabeth City, is that Jesus here was sinning. He was not showing love. He was, uh, he was uh, uh, being a bigot. Um, and refusing to, to look to people from other nations and communities other than himself, instead of presenting a test and an opportunity for her to show and exhibit faith and to see Jesus heal and work, work in that. And so the, the reaction was is that Jesus here experienced the conversion. He was opened up by this woman to see his need to abandon his bigotry and his... Uh, um, his uh, self-nationalistic focus and open up him to be able to extend and show mercy to uh, the nations and to other people. That is not the Christian gospel. That is not what the Bible teaches. If Jesus sinned, if Jesus needed to repent, if Jesus needed to go through a conversion... If Jesus needed help seeing what mercy was, then the death that Jesus died was in judgment of his own sin. And that death would accomplish nothing for you and me. Only God in the flesh, a perfect man, could die to satisfy God's wrath, to remove our sin for us. If not, then Jesus just died for his own sins. John is saying that is not the gospel. If that is what you're believing and you're embracing and you're hoping in, you're not believing Jesus as has been revealed to us in scriptures. You're hoping in something else. You're believing in a false gospel. You have not overcome the world. John is saying it's not just important about what Jesus teaches, but it's the fact that he died as a sinless man God in the flesh who died on our behalf. And that is how we come to be forgiven by looking and hoping in him. John says that is important. The water and the blood. You can't lose any of them. But John goes on and he says it's also the spirit. You see, the spirit, how does the spirit testify? How does the spirit communicate what is true about Jesus and what we need to understand? Well, Remember what we've seen John communicating and telling us about the Spirit up to this point. The Spirit is the one who confirms the truth of what it is that we're reading, that opens up our hearts and applies the work that Jesus did for us. Um, uh, the, the teaching by itself, the, the, the death of Jesus by itself, would not accomplish much without the Spirit applying it to the hearts and lives of God's people. When Jesus was baptized, the Spirit descended, identifying and confirming that Jesus was indeed God in the flesh, the one that he had, was proclaiming to be. Uh, with Jesus' resurrection from the dead, the Spirit testifies and confirms to God's people that everything that Jesus said about his identity and the purpose for why he died uh, confirmed that his resurrection and his death satisfied and delivered his people. The Spirit continues to be at work today. As we are reading the Scriptures right now, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, is at work 
testifying and communicating the truth of who Jesus is and what He came to do. And it's through the work of the Spirit that we, not because of how good we were or that God thought that we had it all together, but out of His mercy that God comes to us who have believed and placed our faith and hope in Jesus. It's because the Spirit was at work opening up our eyes and our hearts that we would freely embrace and hope and trust in Christ. The Spirit is the one that confirms and applies God's truth to our hearts and our lives. He makes the dead living. John's saying, you must understand all of that. Jesus as the who came in the water, as the, as the teacher, as the, the doer of great deeds. Jesus who suffered and died, a perfect man dying for the sins of His people and the Spirit applying these to our hearts. And John says, this is the testimony of God. This is one, just a side note, the way that it's talking about here, the Spirit is the one who testifies, and then John comes along afterwards and said, this is the testimony of God. This is one place where we could go and and begin to understand a little more about how we view and understand the Holy Spirit to not just be a power or a force that comes from God, but actually to be one of the persons of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is God. But we... Continue to, to, to go on. Okay. All right, John. All right. I understand this, this, this offer of, of overcoming and of victory in this broken and messed up world is great. Um, you're, you, you've talked about and told us and you've reminded us again, as you have multiple times in this letter, that it's important for us to understand who Jesus is, our sin and our need for him and trusting and hoping in him. But, but John, this... This offer of, of overcoming. You've said we, ha- we have overcome. This is the victory. Our faith. But, but right now, John, things are messed up. A prison was overrun in our community this week. People died in Elizabeth City this week. Don't you know, John, about the, the, the sickness I'm suffering? The doubts that, that, I, that I wrestle with? What about what's happening in, in Puerto Rico? What about what's happening throughout our world, the suffering that people are experiencing? And these are people that bear your name and who say that they worship you. Sometimes I wonder, is this overcoming going to happen? When will this victory occur? Have I missed it? Did, did I miss my opportunity? Am, am I really part of the victorious ones? John, help me understand. I, I, I'm concerned. I need to know. Am I one of the ones who has experienced the victory? I don't want to miss out. Look at what John says. In verses 9 and following. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that He is born concerning His Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. This is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life. And this is life in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may know that you have eternal life. Remember when John is talking about life and talking about eternal life, 
This is uh, not just mortal living forever, but it's living in the life and fellowship and relationship of the Trinity. Renewed fellowship with God. How can we know? John is saying we can be confident and that we can know and be assured. How? Why? This, uh, this past year, um, is about this time last year, uh, it was time to get flu shots. And um, uh, the, the kids got theirs at the, uh, at the pediatrician. And this time for Lindsay and I to get ours. But I started hearing people say, you know what? They got the flu shot wrong this year. And it's not really working. Um, they guessed wrong, and it's really no point in getting your, uh, your flu shot this year. It's not, it's not going to help. You'll just end up getting sick anyway. Who they were, I don't know. Just word of mouth, hearsay, Facebook posts, something that I heard from my friends. And you know what? I believed them. I believed they. Uh, I believed what they said. You know what happened? Um, I got the flu. I got the flu, and Lindsay got the flu. At the same time, it was miserable. All of our kids were fine. We were sick. Couldn't take care of anybody. Uh, I had to call in somebody on a Saturday night to come down to preach for me because it had hit me so bad. I, didn't, I wasn't aware. But that's not the end of the story. I was talking to Dan about this just last week because it's time to get flu shots again. And he said, you know what? Last year, the flu shot actually was 85 to 90% successful. It was a good guess. And it saved a lot of people from getting sick. So notice what happened. I believed and hoped and trusted in, in, in the words that came from non-experts. Just friends and relationships I had. And based on that... I made a decision to not get the flu shot instead of consulting some sort of expert, somebody who had actual knowledge in the field of shots and medicine and disease and illness. How often do you do things like that? Make decisions, believe, trust what other people tell you, your friends. How many times in the past year have you believed something somebody's posted on Facebook or Twitter, only to find out maybe a few months later that it was wrong? How many times do you go off of the word of, of other, uh, other people in, in advising you to, to do things? Uh, it, it could be that maybe they're not wrong, but why do you trust people? You've had a relationship with them. You've gotten to know them. You've grown to see that maybe the counsel that they've given you in the past has been accurate. Um, I'm not saying this to say don't believe anything anybody says, but there are places where you do trust people because you've seen their life. You've understood that when they say things to you, you can believe them, that, the, that what they're saying as far as their commitment to you or if they're going to be at a meeting or a dinner or give you a, a, a dessert after you finish your meal, uh, you trust them. Look at what John's saying here. God, this testimony that he's given, it's not just some random Facebook poster who has said, you will overcome. You can have victory. You can have life, eternal life in Jesus. Notice what John says. Just to think about it. John says, look, if, if you would believe the testimony of men, 
when they tell you something, how much more should you believe the testimony of God and what He communicates to you? If there is an expert on reality, would it not be the one who has created it? If there is an expert on truth, would it not come from the true one? The creator of all things, John has told us, has revealed himself to us, has given us a testimony through the water and blood of Jesus, through his spirit. Shouldn't you believe him? And what has he said? What is his testimony? This is what he says in verse 11. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and that this life is in his son. That is what the expert says. This is what the trustworthy one says. I have given life and life is found in my son. Now, there's two choices we can make in responding to the, the, the testimony that this expert gives us. We can reject it or we can accept it. Notice the two options, John says. There's, look at the results that happen if we reject this testimony that God gives us, that life is found in His Son. Notice in verse uh, 10 at the end. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God is born concerning his son. To reject this message that God sends means you're telling God he's a liar. Why? Because what has God said? You're sinners. You are rightly, justly deserving my punishment. But in my mercy and my grace, I'm offering you a way to experience salvation and redemption. Turn from your sin. Trust and hope in me. Nah, you're wrong, God. I don't need that. I'm okay. I'm not as bad as you think. And I really don't need Jesus. I might need a little help from him. But God isn't saying you need Jesus to help you a little bit. He's saying you need all of Jesus because you have nothing. To reject this testimony that God has given is to tell God he's a liar. It's to say, I know more about the world and reality than you do, and I'm not going to listen to you. This is just going right back to the, what the world is described as, as rejecting God's truth, his plan, his good care in the world, and wanting to do things our own way. Resulting, it means you're calling God a liar, John says. And then in verse 12, it goes on. The end of chapter 12. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. The only way in this world, John is saying, to experience life, and life is only found in restored relationship with God. The, the, where we saw last week, Jesus is going to return and He's going to judge. Those who have rejected the testimony of God will forever be put out of His presence, will suffer this, uh, that punishment eternally, and will not experience life. John is saying this is the consequence that comes from rejecting this message that God has given. The trustworthy Creator of all things. 
look to the other side, the, the other option, the other way to live or to respond. The result of, of believing the testimony. Look in verse 10, the beginning. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Verses 12 and 13. Whoever has the Son has life. Verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And then even going back, remember what it said in verses 4 and 5. Whoever's been born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory, our faith. Who is it that overcomes except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? John is saying you can know. God has given this good and trustworthy message and promise to His people. The results of embracing the testimony, of believing the truth that God has given, is life. God promises that. How do we know? Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus is not dead anymore. That means that everything that He claimed, everything that He said is true. You want to know why we should believe that Christianity is right and every, three, every other 3,000 plus religion in the world is wrong? Because Jesus Christ is alive. He really rose from the dead in space and time and history. And the authoritative, reliable scriptures affirm that. And Jesus is saying, and God is saying, the only way to be made right with God is through Jesus. So how can you know? John is saying you can know. Let's just remember, we'll wrap up with this. Remember, John has been telling us this as he's been building his case throughout the, the scriptures. How can you know, or through this, this letter, how can you know if, you've, if you're trusting and hoping in Jesus? One thing he mentions and he re, uh, reemphasizes here, belief in Jesus as the Son of God who has come into the flesh, who has died for sinners. It's important. Without trust and faith and hope in Jesus, you will not be saved. Remember another place that John points us for, for assurance for affirmation, evidence that we can look and see in our lives. What's your response to sin? Do you acknowledge that you are still a sinner in need of Jesus? Are you repenting of your sin? Or are you saying, I don't have any sin? If you're saying you don't have any sin, then you're saying you don't have any need for Jesus and you're now calling God a liar, John is saying. That would be evidence that you don't know the Jesus that he's talking about. Um, the other side is love. Do you see in your heart evidence of the love for God's people in your heart and in your life? And the third is obedience. Is righteousness growing? Are you seeing uh, progression in wanting to and obeying and following Jesus, your King, your Savior, the one who gave His life for you? These are evidences. Um, sometimes we've wrongly depended and rested on praying a sinner's prayer. Do you know that in Scripture there's never any place where it says, oh, in common Christian language, ask Jesus into your heart. Or that John's message here is not, if you prayed a prayer and asked Jesus into your heart one time in your life, you're good to go. You have the fire insurance card and God can't touch you. You have the star from Mario and you're running around and nothing can get you. No. No. Faith and hope in Jesus results in the Holy Spirit transforming and changing your life. Your attitude towards sin. Your attitude towards God's people. Your attitude towards God's law. Your affirmation comes from hoping and trusting in Jesus 
and seeing the evidence that He's working out this life in you. Life that begins now, not just after you are raised from the dead and live eternally. God, the Creator, has given us good promises. We can trust Him. It may look messed up in this world now, but He's not just some random blogger or Facebook poster. This is the living and true God who has given His Son who rose from the dead. You can know that you have eternal life. Do you know Jesus? Are you hoping in Him? Have you rested in this Christ that is communicated from the Scriptures? Not just a good teacher, but one who died and suffered from your sin? If not, look to Him. Hope to Him. Call out to Him for mercy. Because the Creator who gives these promises, says, when you call out to me, I will forgive you. That is the hope that we have. That is the good news of the Gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your love for us. We thank You that You have sent Jesus to die for Your people, to rise again for Your people, to ascend and reign for Your people, and who will return for Your people. Um, Help us to embrace more and more and be confident in the salvation and victory and overcoming that is ours. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.